Welcome to the Sports Lounge Podcast, where we celebrate athlete success on and off the field and talk about the mental health and how they are having success after the game. It's a pleasure to introduce you guys to Kelvin Gibbs, a successful track coach for Oakland Powell Track Club in Bishop O'Dowd High School in Oakland, California, a successful police officer for a for the city of Berkeley. And not only that, he was a superstar athlete out of Bellflower High School where he won the MVP twice, uh, voted for the best in the West Coast, and also a superstar athlete out of Pepperdine University. And not only that, a big-time professional athlete that played ball over the seas. How you doing today, man? How's everything going? Pleasure having have you on the sports lounge. So thanks again for taking time to chat with us. So, um, what made you play basketball out any other sport? What made you get started in basketball? Oh, it kind of started, you know, young. I was going both ways. I was playing basketball. I was playing football, um, and then I just started falling in love with basketball. I think it was more so because. Um, I had a cousin, an older cousin, who was a basketball player and going to watch him play, going to watch my uncle play growing up, um, watching the Lakers. I used to live down the street from the forum, so I went to a lot of Laker games. Nice. Um, And I think that that just made me want to play basketball more than football, but I continued to do them all, well, I did them all, basketball, football, baseball, all the way to high school. And then my freshman year, I did basketball and football, and my coach, I guess, at the time, saw a future in basketball and, and kind of <laughs> kind of had my mom uh, make me pull back from football because I was kind of a football guy first. Okay, okay. He saw something that, you know, I guess felt like I had a future and said that I should stop playing football and concentrate on basketball. Nice, nice. So, uh, so, so you went 100% playing ball. I mean, I was looking at your accolades, though. So, but you was you was the MVP two times at Belfire High School. Is that Over correct? Here. Belfire High School. I can't hear you. Okay, right. you can't hear me. All right, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Hello, hello. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, so you was MVP. I can hear you, but it sounds kind of faint. Okay. What about now? Is that better? Um, volume. Yeah, that's better. Okay, great. So, so you, so you was the MVP twice at Belfast High School. Was it CIF twice as well? So you was balling hard yeah, in CIF, high school. Uh, I was MVP of the league for my high school, my junior and senior year. Um, made all CIF my junior and senior year. Nice man, congratulations. Uh, graduating, I made the uh, best in the West. Nice. Beach Press Telegram team. Okay, he was, was balling pretty hard then. So what made you go to Pepperdine University out of all the other colleges? Um, story. So I was recruited by Pepperdine. I love the guys that was there. I was recruited by a lot of, a lot of uh, schools, primarily on the West Coast. Um, I had a really good game against the, the Collins twins that, you know, one that coaches the Warriors now. and. hmm um, that's in it, played in the NBA for several years um, at the Martin Luther King Classic at um, UCLA. Yes. Lorenzo Romar was the assistant coach there. And he started recruiting me for there, for UCLA. And I kind of gave a verbal commitment 
after that my senior year prior to committing to Pepperdine, but then Lorenzo Romar um, took the head coaching job at Pepperdine. So I pretty much just followed him there. Cool, cool. So just have a good chemistry with the coach and all worked out at the end. Right. So, so he, you know, prior to me signing any kind of a letter of intent, he had signed to take the head coaching job at Pepperdine. So he was the my primary recruiter for UCLA, and I was a good guy. He got an NBA background, and he built a pretty good team over at Pepperdine. So I, I decided to, to go follow him here. That's cool. So, so correct me if I'm wrong, man. I was looking at um your your, your resume, balling at Pepperdine. You guys was the uh, conference champions. At one point, right. and uh, was it uh, um, was it uh, the West Coast Conference champions for two years? Yeah. Man, so we were West Coast champions for a year. Um, we were in the same league as Gonzaga. Nice. That's when Gonzaga started to become has started to become a powerhouse. They have started making the, the tournament consist. Well, I think they've made the tournament ever since. Okay. Ever since then, my junior year, where we went to the tournament, um, and so it was, I made like cold freshman year with Casey Calvary, who used to be at Gonzaga when it all started for them, and then I made all conference my junior and senior year. Nice, congratulations! And we man. That's won a big the conference look. my junior year. Wow, that's that's a good look. So, so how was it like being the best in your division at the time? Oh, it was fun, man. We had a by then Lorenzo Romar had left, and we had got another coach by the name of um, Jan Van Bredikoff, who dad used to be um, ex coach of the Lakers. And mm-hmm. He changed the the culture over at Pepperdine, where we became a, a, a powerhouse defensively. So, we pressed the whole game created turnovers, you know, there was a lot of schools that we used to play that used to get mad because my coach was, he didn't care. We were up by 30, we were down by 30, we were going to press. Nice. So that became, that became uh, the coach over at Pepperdine. We ended up being the number two defensive team in the country behind Kentucky at the time. Wow. So it it, it was fun, man. We were a fast-paced team up and down the court. And it was, it was fun to be a part of. That's nice. So so how was it like um, playing ball overseas? Cause I know you was playing ball with for 10 years. Um, at, was it uh, was yeah, Israel? Nine and a half years. Nine and a half years, okay. At, uh, I did nine and a half, just shy of 10. I always say 10, but it was just shy of 10. Okay. And it it was probably one of the best experiences in, in my life because it gave me the opportunity to see the world, right? I played in several different countries. Mm-hmm. In those countries, you travel to other countries to play games. Nice. And I think it helped grow as a person um, living in countries where I had to get used to different cultures. So mm-hmm. it, it made me, you know, outside of my own community, growing up in primarily um, an all-black neighborhood, it, it shed light on the way other cultures live, and it helped me grow as a person. Nice. I, I think I started. Well, I think I started off in Belgium, which was a lot different, you know, coming out of college. Then mm-hmm. I did France for a couple years. After France, I went to uh, to Israel, where I ended up being co MVP with Jeske Vicious, who used to play for Maryland and who used to play for the Warriors. Okay. After I left Israel, I went to Turkey. 
and I did Russia for a couple years. I did Greece. I did Germany. But within those countries, we we traveled all over to other countries. So I've probably been to more countries than I have states. Man, I have a lot of stamps on that passport. I see. <laughs> That's cool though. Uh, so, <laughs> so, 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 so. Let me let me look at. You know, let's talk about your resume overseas. So you was a co MVP for the uh, was the Israeli league. Is that is that correct? Yeah. And you was a year year cup champion. So how was that? Like how was you know, what was that experience like being like being on top of your game overseas, outside the States? So we it, it was nice. Like I was always one of the top scorers in the country that I played in, I was always one of the leaders um on my team. That year in Israel was uh I had a coach who used to coach the national team in Israel who's who's always been one of the best international teams um, in the past. They had the best team in Europe at time for a decade in Maccabi Tel Aviv. I also played in Tel Aviv with a team called uh, Hopwell Tel Aviv. And he bought a similar um, plan as my college coach did. So it made it a lot fun. We were up and down, um, had a lot of, I guess he saw what I could do. I had a lot of leeway. And it just turned out to me just balling out, man. It was one of my, my best years there. I think it, it probably was my best year overseas and um, helped pave the way for my future career before I ended up retiring. But it, it was extremely fun and a nice country. I think I turned that team down several times because of what you see in the news mm -hmm. in regards to in regards to Israel, right? Yeah, I was like, nah, that's the way I'm going there. Like, I was about to ask about to that. Like Americans, <laughs> yeah. Right? I talked to a couple Americans that was over there, and they, and and one of the guys ended up being on my team who used to play for the Pacers, named Kenny Williams. Oh, okay, and, okay. And this is how he broke it. He broke it down to me. He said, he asked me where I live, and I was like, I live near Oakland, right? And so he was like, I'm sure there's places in Oakland that you wouldn't go. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> yes, there's definitely places in Oakland where I wouldn't go. Yeah, they said that's the same as Israel, man. If you know where to, where not to go, and you know, where to stay away from, it's no different. So like I said, I went out there and had a blast. Obviously, it was a couple things that was happening mm -hmm. over there at the time, but I guess like I said, if you stay away from from trouble, then it's then all good. Fine. Cool, cool. So go looking for trouble, then you're gonna find a lot, <laughs> especially overseas. Right. So, 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 what, so, what was your best game you have overseas playing, playing professional, like stats wise? What was like the best game, you know, you can think of that you was just in the zone? And uh, my best game definitely came. Uh, if we're talking about just strictly stats, my best game came in France. I, I know last year when I checked, I was still currently. You know how in the NBA they do this thing where you you get an evaluation like they say oh his his PR was like seventeen yes where they calculate you know all your stats but then they take away like points for like turnovers and mm -hmm. stuff like that yes I, I think that originated in Europe and the team that I nice. was in um, in France I had a game where I had um, thirty seven points twenty one rebounds. 20, I'm sorry, 26 rebounds. 26 rebounds? And 11 fits. And, 11, and so that game, I had an Damn. evaluation nice. of of like 50, which is like unheard of. Because mm -hmm. so I hardly missed any shots. You know, I was just balling out like crazy. And I had a, I, up until last year, I haven't checked recently, but up until last year, 
I still had the highest evaluation game in France history. And that was in, if it was France, that had to be 2003. Those are some serious stats. Wow. So it's been a minute. You know, whenever you, uh, you get over 20 rebounds a game, that means you are really balling hard. But scoring, just doing everything right. you was doing, that's that's a serious game. So, so what, 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 what makes you that year? I led, I led that league that year in points and rebounds. In points and rebounds. So, so what's your average saying the rebounds and points? Is our curiosity. I averaged twenty six point. It was like twenty five point eight, twenty five point nine. And then I averaged 14 rebounds. Wow. And, no, I apologize, man. I forgot you talking about when you playing basketball, but never talk about your position. So what, what position do you play, like in college and, and professional? Was it the same position? Played, or In college, I was uh, – I played primarily power forward. I played a little bit of small forward. Okay. Um, but offensively, most of the time I was a power forward. Defensively, uh, my coach would always put me on – because I was always a good defender, so okay. he always put me on the, the second best player, no matter what the position was, because we had a guy by the name of uh, Thomas Prince, Tommy Prince, who is Tayshawn Prince's older brother. Yes, who yeah, was I remember. A down defender. So yes. whoever we played, uh, we had a good guy, we put him on, on that guy, and he pretty much locked him up, and then I would always guard the second best player. So even at the power forward position, if the second best player was a shooting guard, I would end up guarding the shoot, shooting guard. So I guarded pretty much every position um, from the two through the five. The only position that I really didn't defend was was a, was a point guard. Nice, nice. So so what made you uh, retire from basketball? Because... Okay. Actually, before I went overseas, my firstborn was, uh, was born... And then halfway through through my career, my, my second daughter was born. Nice. And then towards the end of uh, my last year, actually, and, uh, well, prior to my last year, my son was born. Nice. Okay. So now at that point, you know, uh, my daughters were of age that they were, they were in school. So mm-hmm. the, the visits became a lot less because they were in school. Mm-hmm. So then the, home, the homesickness started to, to, to kick in. And then when I had my son, it was like, okay, my wife was doing her thing with the girls, but now now we got a boy, right? Yes, so, change the whole you know, dynamics. My wife can hold it down. Yes, yes. You know, that boy, you, you got to be there. Because when you play overseas, you go on 10 months out of the year, man. So mm-hmm. it's, it's difficult. You're only home for two months. So if, if those visits slow down, you get homesick. Yeah. Right? And so I was like, when my son was born, I was like, you know what? It, it, it's, time to, it's time to transition, right? My mm-hmm. career was starting to transition anyway. My love for the game. Uh, was still there, but it was starting to slip. And I always told myself when that happens, it's time to shut it it's down. Time. Okay. The okay. reason it started to slip wasn't because of the game. It was because I was missing my family. Yes, right? different so priorities. It's, 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 mm-hmm. Right. So I was like, it's time to transition. Um, I actually had a contract to go back to Turkey prior to me going to Turkey and decided last minute that I wasn't going to do it. So I called the team and told them, like, man, I'm... I'm I'm sorry for calling you guys late in the game, but uh, it, it, I'm not. I'm not going to make that trip. Man. Mm-hmm. It's time for me to transition, stay home, and then that that transitions me into my second career, nice. which I'm doing now, which is uh, law enforcement. Yeah. So, so what made you get into law enforcement? Uh, all the other careers, what made you get into that? So, as a kid, it's funny, man. I, I tell people all the time. 
that even though I didn't play in the NBA, I think I accomplished both both goals that I had set for myself. Or I would say not both goals, but I accomplished two things that I always wanted to do as a kid, which mm-hmm. was to become a professional athlete. And I always wanted to be a police officer. Nice. Growing up in the hood, man, it's like you, you see things that that you wish you didn't see and mm-hmm. want to do something about it, you know? So it was like uh, I always thought about being a police officer growing up as a kid. And my wife's uh, father uh, was a police officer at the time. Oh, nice. And so when I used to come home for the during the summers, the police, uh, Berkeley Police Department in particular, had a really nice gym there. Mm-hmm. So I would always, I lived in Richmond, I would always do my, my, my jogs to Berkeley to get my cardio in, mm-hmm. and then I would go there and I would work out at the police station. So I met a lot of the people that were working there. Okay. Um, they allowed me to work out in a gym because of who my father, my father-in-law was, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I did that, and, and they were putting it in my ear, man, whenever you... Whenever you stop playing, you should think about, you know, becoming a police officer. And here at Berkeley, we have a lot of ex-athletes from Cal and and so forth. And so I decided to make that move and I applied um, for Berkeley, the police department for Berkeley, and then like two other departments that I probably wouldn't have worked for if I didn't get the job at Berkeley. I specifically Mm -hmm. wanted to work at Berkeley. Okay, okay. Well, well, appreciate you um, giving back, you know, making the community a safer place because definitely in the hood, you definitely see the good, bad, and the ugly. So, so, right. so really appreciate that. So, on, on this podcast, well, let me talk a, another question. What made you get, made, what made you start coaching track? Because um, you're doing an excellent job, just like you're doing uh, law enforcement, you are doing your thing in track. So, what made you get started coaching track? So, along the way, my, my kids, um, we were trying to get them active in the sports because I'm a firm, huge believer that sports build character, right? Yes. I've always been like that. Agree, uh, agree. It, if you can, it, it teach you timeliness, right? It teaches you, teach you a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. A lot of life lessons. I wanted to get my own kids involved um, in sports, right? Because it teaches hard work and it, it, it's just something that helped me form my life. So I felt like it was needed and so we my kids we joined my kids up for Oakland Powell which is a Oakland Police Activity League um and track and field at the time I was still playing when they joined um okay but then I came back when I retired I always wanted to give back right because I felt like when I was growing up it, it, somebody did it for me right mm-hmm. my my coaches and and people along the way picking me up taking me here taking me there you know, if, if I didn't have those people in my life, I don't think that I would have accomplished the goals that I did. Mm-hmm. And so I said, people, somebody did it for me. I wanted to, to, to pay it forward, right? Pay back and pay it forward. And so I got involved with the coaching, took some classes. Um, I always knew about track and field because my basketball coach um, was the, also the track coach for some years in my high school. So okay. he used to make us do track workouts, even though we weren't on the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've always been a part of track and I love watching track, but it's, so I was like, you know what, I'm going to talk to the, to the director who obviously, you know, coach Dixon, Mm -hmm. um, the head coach. And yeah, she, she paid for me to go to classes and, and, and get the, the knowledge that I needed to, to do certain 
events and it just went from there man and it's like that i volunteer as you know countless hours a week yes you yes. Know, work, even though i work graveyards you know i i try to help out as mm-hmm. much as i can getting kids prepared and so it i mean it's, it's just been downhill from there i think now i've been coaching with open pile for ooh, probably just shy of 10 years because wow. I retired from basketball in 2010 and I think I started coaching either the next year or okay. the year after so it was just shy of 10 years and then uh, my daughter um, was was a high profile athlete coming out of Oakland Pound she went to Bishop Dow and my kids tease me all the time they say hey whatever sport or team we own you don't have to coach it <laughs> they, they tease me all the time but the head coach of uh, Bishop Odell mm-hmm. also has a youth club, CA Track Club, and so he okay. he asked me to come on board and, and help coach at Odell. So I've been coaching at Odell now for about three years. Um, yeah, you're definitely making a name for yourself in the Bay Area with uh, with your coaching ability. So you d- you're definitely doing it on a high level. So so that's that's a, that's a good look. You know what, man? I tell people all the time, coaching. The coaching side of it, obviously, you want to you want to get your, your your kids prepared and, and and top shape and and as best as you can get them as an athlete. But in my opinion, coaching is more to do with just being a people's person, right? If if you could, if you could, it's like being a salesman, right? If I yes. can sell a kid to, hey, you, you need to do this and do that to get better, and then build those relationships with them, it they'll they'll follow you if they trust you, right? And so it's yes. like I, I had athletes I in particular that a lot of other coaches who I would say were better coaches than me couldn't get them to, couldn't get those same athletes to do certain things that I did. And it's just because of my personality. I think they gravitate towards me. They know that I'm there for them. They see that they know all the hours that I put in at work and that I work nights. But at the same time, if they call me, can we can you help me do this at 11 a.m. when I just got off at 7 a.m.? Mm-hmm. They know I'm gonna come. Yes. Right. And so I think it's that trust in, in me as a coach. Well, that's good. Cause trust is everything. Yes. Well, well, you definitely have a major impact in the community with the kids. So, so on this podcast, we talk a lot about the mental health. Uh, when we play sports, you know, it's become my whole life from training, practicing the games, just you know, just the love for it. So, what impact does does, does that have in your mental health that you no longer can play the sport that you love? Or do you still play basketball on the side? Um, I did from time to time. I mm-hmm. haven't lately. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes some of my guys at the department will put a team together and go play against other other departments. But that's just to the extent that I, that I still play. Mm-hmm. Other than that, it's just I train from time to time just to be a um, yeah, mental health wise, man, it, it's it's a lot got to put into it if you want to be good, right? Yes. If you want to be mediocre, then okay. But if you want to be one of the top guys, it's a lot of work. Y'all putting that work, it. as you see in that Olympic position. And when you do become one of those top guys, then the pressure comes with it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why you see a lot of athletes right now, even in that Olympics, with like Simone Biles. Yes. Like the pressure that she has to wear. Even if she went out there and won silver, which is a big achievement to everybody else, she yeah. failed. Yeah, right? you don't have gold. Yes. 
the expectations that's put upon her. And yeah. it, it makes it unfair for the athlete, but because she is that top-notch athlete, those expectations is put in it, and it becomes stressful, mm-hmm. right? Because now you're you're saying, oh, I'm, I'm a failure if if I don't do this or if I don't do that. When technically, I mean, you, you're at the biggest stage as it is. You're in the Olympics, right? Yeah. <laughs> you made it. <laughs> yeah. It's like that. It, it that pretty much twinkles down to everybody, man. It's like you don't have to be a Olympic athlete for that pressure when you, when you're the best at on your team. It's a mm-hmm. lot of pressure put on you, and and then that it makes it become difficult. But for me, I always had a relaxed calmness in, in regards to to basketball. It was like I felt like okay, I'm putting in the work. work so whatever happens, happens, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like I'm out here just not practicing, not putting in the work. I'm putting in the work, so if I go out there and I score 30, or if I go out there and I score two, for to me, obviously I would be disappointed if I score two, but the work that I put in, it wouldn't bother me because I know I would come back and, and, and have a good performance after that. As far as my mental health after retiring and, and switching over, for the first couple years, it was tough because it was what I did, right? It yes. was what paid for my, my college. If, if it wasn't for that, I probably wouldn't have had a degree from a four-year university because my my parents wouldn't have been able to pay for that. Mm-hmm. You know, at the time, Pepperdine was a, a $30-something-thousand-a-year school, and that was 20 years ago. Yes. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful so, campus, a beautiful right. facility. So, in Malibu, right. when, you, when, you, when your mom make, when your mom makes that for a year, mm-hmm. how the hell is she gonna pay for that? Yeah, you know, for you to go to school. So basketball paved the way for me. So that's what made it difficult for me. It's like, okay, it, it helped me go to school, get my degree. It pretty much, I made a living doing it for ten years. That's how I put food on the table for. Mm-hmm. my family mm-hmm. right so when i retired it was like okay how am i going to make money what am i going to do because i had a gap before uh like a year and a half gap between me starting at berkeley police department and me retiring i had about a year gap and okay. me retiring from uh from basketball okay so we were basically living off of off of savings that i saved while i was playing mm-hmm. um so it was a little stressful uh but like I said, I'm, I'm a, a, a guy of faith, mm-hmm. and I knew something would work out. And so I just, you know, put all my effort into transitioning. Like I said, I easily could have been like, no, I'm leaving. I'm going back to Turkey. I already have a contract. Yes. Right? But I stepped out on faith and knew that it was time for me to be home, and, and it worked out, man. So yeah. I just... And that's good. Mental, yes. From a mental standpoint, yeah, the first year or so... And I tell you now, if I was in the shape that I was in when I was playing and I was still young right now and I was offered a contract, mm-hmm. I, I would turn it down. Because the simple fact that what I do now is more important to me. Financially, mm-hmm. we're, you know, we're fortunate enough to be stable. Mm-hmm. And I think what I do now with the, with the kids and being here for my own family and my own kids is it's way more important to me and that's good though it makes you salute man we need more people like you pit family first so and it works out you know pit family first and you know your blessings comes you know yeah you can't go wrong so so that's good so 
since you have a lot of knowledge and you know you you play you play a professional, let, let me ask you a question. I always want to ask a professional athlete this. So does so so is, is there really a mental? I can imagine it's a mental challenge. You have a, a big game. You play hard, you tired. Now you got to deal with these reporters actually the same old silly questions. You know, that, that, no, 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 can it become an issue or is there any way you can control? Or if you could, can you control what they ask you? Like, like, you know, like the president, like the politics. You know, <laughs> they can control the questions that you ask them or really it just comes along with the territory. So for me, it was a, it was always a little bit different okay. being overseas, right? Because mm-hmm. you always had the language barrier. Okay. So even I say Israel was probably the country the most where I was interviewed, um, interviewed the most. Okay. And every reporter asked some some outlandish questions. It's like, come on, man, you was just watching the game. Why are you even asking me that? Yes. Right. Yes. So it's it's. Um, I, I kind of look at it from the standpoint to where they they may even be a little nervous approaching you, right? But mm-hmm. it's it's uh, for for me it was a little different just because of the the whole language barrier and stuff like that. But me watching some of the the questions that that these athletes nowadays are being asked, I don't blame them when they walk out on mm-hmm. some of those questions, man. It's like, come on, yes. man, ask me. It's these stupid questions and some of them don't even be about the game you just played yes I'm only, Marshawn Lynch said yes, I'm only here so I won't, so I won't get fined right the exactly they're, they're only there for that exact reason because they yes. know when they go in there they're going to be at like for instance Phoenix just lost the, the finals mm-hmm. you're going to ask them how do you feel what do you like, what? <laughs> It's the finals, the championship. <laughs> yes, exactly. Cause I, I feel like they'll be trying to play mind games and try like it's not even about the game. It's like you try you know break the athlete just because get some ratings and some stories. What happened at this course of the game that changed? That's a you know that's a valid question. But come on, man, don't ask me a question. How do I feel after I just lost the the championship? It's like, what do you mean how I feel? What do you want me to say? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You watch the game. And then they want you to (laughs) want you to make some kind of remark where they can they can twist it and Mm -hmm. and And make a story and and get some clicks and likes. Yep. Yeah, and Kevin Durant's the biggest victim of that. To me, they twist everything that man say. Exactly. Exactly. But you know what? But but he's still withholding it. He's still doing his thing. But yeah, he's definitely they definitely got out for him. It doesn't make sense, but, you know, they twist every little word. And if he don't go do the interviews, then he get fined. Yeah. Right? So it's like he has to go and he still has to listen to the dumb questions over and over again. But for the most part, I'm not going to say all reporters. I mean, for the most part, they, they're they doing their job well. It's just, it's just the one or two questions that come in where it's like, first of all, you already know the answer to it. And then second, it's like, why are you even asking me that? It has nothing to do with what just happened in this game. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, it's crazy. So I always want to um, ask on that being and done that because you know you you know you have a you can get the inside scoop from being there. But with all the knowledge and everything you have, how uh, um, how are you passing on the legacy to the next generation since you coaching and to your family? Right, like I said, I always I made made it always a part of uh, of my family. Where mm-hmm. My kids, and in all honesty, we didn't give them a choice going up. They had to be involved in the sport, right? And it goes back to me that sports teach life lessons. Mm-hmm. And that's 
I don't care if they're the best or they're the worst, right? It's just the life lessons that are taught during sports, right? It's like hard work. The the lessons that are taught taught during sports are the lessons that you're going to succeed in life if you if you do it. Timeliness, hard work, dedication, right? And, and, and if you can grasp that, I think sports help with that. And that's the reason why, well, one of the reasons why I got into coaching, because mm-hmm. I feel like that is something like, so <laughs> some people say that I go about this the wrong way. So in coaching, when, especially for me, for Oakland Power, we have different groups, right? Yes. And I always had older kids. And then I always had parents that wanted their kids Oh, you need to go practice with Coach Gibbs because they saw some of the stuff that we were doing and we were working hard. Yes, right? you got on the hills, kids, everything. Some of those kids so, wasn't ready for that, mm-hmm. right? So they would come over there and they would be like, hey, Coach Gibbs, what are we doing today? And I used to tell them. I mean, I used to not tell them, right? It's like, it doesn't matter what we're doing. You're over here, you're going to work hard, blah, blah, blah. But I noticed that a lot of those kids were only coming over there to, to train with the group that I had at the time because they were being sent by a parent or something like that, right? Because okay. they weren't in that age group that I was training. And I would never tell a kid, don't mm-hmm. go back to your age group. They were like, okay, you ready for this? Let's go. And But I noticed that they wouldn't work hard. And when you have a couple kids that are not working hard and a group of kids that are trying to work hard, it brings down the practice, right? Yeah. So I started telling the kid, <laughs> I started telling the kid, look, this is what we're going to do. If you here and you ready to work, Let's go. Let's get it. Mm-hmm. But I noticed when I started telling kids certain things that they were like, oh, well, can I go over here and practice <laughs> with Coach, the, one of the other coaches yes. who they think isn't going to be practicing hard, which I don't know why they thought that. Mm-hmm. Because all of our coaches are going to make you get it in. Hell yes. Hell yes. It's, um, it, it, it's like, okay, all right, yeah, go ahead and go over there. I'm, so I take a different approach to coaching, right? I would, if... If you here, we gonna work hard. And if you're not willing to work hard, then I don't want you to be over here because I don't want you to bring down the, the morale. Everybody else that's here trying to work and get better, mm-hmm. right? And when you only have two hour practice and you have a club as big as ours, you you can't try to talk to that kid to every time. Oh, okay, you need to do this. You need to do that. As far as as far as work ethic, I'm not talking about as far as talent. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about this because you know. When a kid is working hard or not, regardless of their talent. Oh yes. Um, you don't have time to do that if you're trying to show the other kids who are there to work hard, and, and you only have a certain amount of time with them. Now, if I was coaching on an individual basis, like I do a lot, mm-hmm. and they they aren't working hard, then yeah, I'm gonna get on that person and try to pick their level up. I just don't have time to do that in the hour and a half of practice that we do when I'm trying to show the kids that are here to work mm-hmm. to to get down right. So it's. But for the, for the most part, yeah, man, it's it's, it's all. Um, I think for, as far as your question is, is passing it along. It's just passing on, like I said, what what was instilled in me. Mm-hmm. I tried to do it with my own kids, and mm-hmm. and therefore, and, and when I say my own kids, man, it, that that's my my three that I've that me and my wife had, but that goes to open power too. Yes, it's, it's a lot of parents. They'll tell you, man, I've I've picked kids up from school several kids up from school every day in mm-hmm. different cities to take them to practice to get it in to prepare for the jos and prepare for stuff like that so when i say my kids yeah that obviously that includes my own three but 
I consider, you know, all the kids from Oakland Plow. It's, yes. it's, it's my kids, and if they want to get down, they want to get dirty, just call me. I'm ready. Let's go. Man, that's a good look. Make the time. That's a good look. That's a good look. So, uh, man, so so you have a major impact in the community. You accomplish a whole lot. So, is there anything else that you want to accomplish on and off the field? Um, and, and what's I'm next for you? I'm about to be taking on a new position in, in track. With okay. Possibly becoming the... Um, the youth chair for our association. Nice. So that's that's the next step. Uh, Congratulations. Uh, for me, thank you. And so it now it's going to go beyond just my own club, right? I mm -hmm. got to make sure all, if if that actually happens, it'll happen in September if I get that position or not. Okay. Um, uh, more likely, I think I am, but it's going to be now throughout the Bay Area. And wow. I just... I just want to continue to to do the same thing. I'm fortunate enough to work for a department who, you know, that, that cares also, so they know what I do on the side. So occasionally I have to, you know, take a day off or, or do this to be, to, to help groom these kids, right? We, mm -hmm. we try to try to pave it forward, right? The more kids you keep out of trouble, the less, the, the less that you... The less kids that would deter later and start to Agree. They shouldn't Agree. do. They know that that's... I'm about so mm -hmm. I just want to continue to do that I'm hoping to you know to do it outside of my own club now and and continue to move forward that's that's the reason why I wanted to do it specifically with Oakland Powell being a law being a police officer and it being you know backed by a police department shows that you know all the stuff in the media that you see about police officers Right. Obviously, you have you have some some police officers that are doing stuff that they shouldn't do. Yes. Right. But if you really if you really look into it, it's a lot more police officers that's doing good than bad. Right. For instance, Agree. Mm -hmm. Myself, I'm a police officer. Coach Dixon, mm -hmm. a retired police officer. Mm -hmm. uh, Coach Valentine, I a retired sheriff mm -hmm. deputy. So it's like our our coaching staff has three officers on it alone mm -hmm. and for us to do what we do we don't get paid to do it right we're doing it out of our own time yes. I we we do countless number of hours so everybody know they can call either one of the three of us and say hey oh, i need to do this can i get some practice in um, for instance our team we stopped practicing two weeks ago but there's mm -hmm. some kids that want to go to the jo's i've been continuing to practicing with that group that's going to the jo's over the last two weeks even though we haven't been having official practices, right? Yeah. So it's like I'm, even though we're we're out of season, and those kids are going to jails, I've still been doing over ten hours a week training, mm -hmm. them training for the jails that they're about to go to. Yes. So it's, it's it's just like you said, giving back, man. And I think those kids were they appreciate it, and I think you know for the most part, it's keeping them out of trouble, and it's keeping them active, and it's teaching them life lessons. Agree, agree, and, and really, well, I just wanted to just thank you for, you know, for giving back and being committed to the community and just really having an impact on these kids and um, coaching next generation and really protecting the community at the same time and sharing your knowledge. Uh, do you have anything that you want to tell the listeners? Um, not really. I just, I'm, I appreciate you reaching out and Wanting to do the interview with me, man, it means a lot, you know, knowing that my background as a, as an athlete and then uh, what I'm doing now as a police officer, 
it, it makes it reassuring that people notice uh, what you're doing, right? So yes, yes. I thought it was a huge uh, you know, um, deal, you reaching out to me, asking me to do it. There's, there's no way I, I wouldn't have done it, right? Yeah, it's, it's an honor to have you on the show, man, so thank you. Yes, sir. Appreciate you, brother. So, so again, man, so thank you for sharing your story on the Sports, uh, podcast, <laughs> the Sports Lounge podcast. Wish you uh, many blessings and, uh, and much success with coaching and protecting the community. And, uh, and thank you all for the listeners that join us and uh, listening to the podcast today. So, so thanks again, man. I really appreciate it. Again, Coach Kelvin Gibbs, you know, salute and many blessings, man. Thanks again. Thank you. Appreciate you, sir. All right, man. Have a good one. Bye. You too.